Hey, let's uh, turn in our Bibles this afternoon. Let's go to the book of uh, Judges, uh, chapter 4. Judges, chapter 4. And uh, so great to last night, uh, after our night of worship, I got to sit and hang out with Pastor Josh a little bit. And uh, we've become friends over the years. And uh, so, so encouraging to have him. And I was, unfortunately, I just got back into town, so I was un- uh, not able to uh, make this morning's session uh, because my daughter had a soccer match and so needed to be there for that. I've been gone all week. and uh, But I heard from in the workshop that I was teaching that he taught from the life of Samson there in Judges. It was this whole message surrounding It's not normal. You don't normally think of maybe going to the book of Judges for a worship conference called Restore. You know, Judges is like where you go to get like hammered and really drilled. Uh, But I think that there's just some great refreshing uh, words that uh, maybe we've got here in Judges uh, chapter 4. But before we get into it, I just wanted to uh, thank Pastor Brenton and his team in just putting this on. I, I really admire him and his leadership. The Lord brought him uh, and his wife, Dania, out to our church. Gosh, it was over three years ago now. And it's just been a wonderful uh, meld and match uh, together as we've served the Lord. And uh, I've just been so thankful for uh, his heart. I was telling our uh, personal worship workshop that, uh, you know, when he came out, you know, one of the things that the Lord kind of put inside of my heart over the years, I grew up in a pastor's home, a church planter's home. My whole life, we were meeting in portable buildings and trailers and, you know, jerry-rigged sound systems and lighting systems and all that kind of stuff. And just kind of, you know, grew up just kind of thinking that that's what you did for church. You just did whatever had to be done to make it another week and all of that. And so when I became the pastor here, that was just really a big part of my heart. I just would like to connect with other pastors, encourage other pastors because, you know, they're doing that work and everything. But the thing for me is I don't have a lot of, like, I don't have, not, not just not a lot of, but I have no musical ability. So when God brought Brenton here and he began saying, you know, uh, this is my heart, you know, I love worship leaders, I'd like to minister to worship leaders, encourage worship leaders that are doing this, and, you know, whether it's the tech or the sound or whatever, I just want to be a blessing to them. I think even at first I didn't really totally believe it, you know, I was like, well, you know, are you just saying that because, you know, your pastor's like, I have this heart, and he's like, yeah, me too, I have that heart also, you know, you and me, we like this, no way, you like all the same things I like, you know, kind of thing, was it that? little Nacho Libre reference, but... Uh, you know, I've just kind of came to discover over time, no, that's exactly the heart that the Lord's given him, and it's just so cool to see it kind of manifest itself in this kind of atmosphere and environment. So I feel feel bad right now. I haven't introduced myself. I'm Nate, Nate Holdridge. I'm the lead pastor here at this church. So it's just so great to have you here uh, with us. And so we just want to end this time uh, this afternoon. I really want to get Jaden back up here because that was just such a blessing. I've been listening to Jaden and being ministered to by his music for probably over 10 years. And it was about 10 years ago, I think we had an opportunity to do a conference together. I remember it, doing the teaching and him there. He probably doesn't remember me, but I was so blessed just being able to see him even then. And just his integrity, his walk with the Lord, it's really uh, clear in uh, the way that he serves. So want to get him back up here, but I want to read this to you out of Judges chapter 4. And basically what I want to talk to you about this afternoon, you know, in thinking and praying about what is it that I can share 
from this pulpit with you this afternoon. You know, having Josh here, what a wonderful blessing to have a pastor able to share the word of God, but also who has that experience in leading worship, leading a congregation in worship, understanding that side of things. He even just mentioned to me, you know, in passing last night as we're having dinner together, something about some kind of certi- certification or degree or something like that that he has in like sound tech, you know, kind of area. I'm like, oh, okay, it's nice to be you, you know, kind of thing. And just, you know, what a blessing to be able to have that kind of perspective. But for me, you know, I'm not going to be up here and, you know, talk to you about, you know, the musical side of things or anything like that. But what, as a pastor, could I share with you and impart to you from God's Word. And I want to talk to you today about leadership. And if I had to put a title on this message, it would just be simply this, go and lead. Go and lead. So what we're going to do is a little bit different of a teaching kind of thing for me. I want to read this whole story to you, maybe make a couple of comments as I pass through it, just so you understand the story and the context. But really, what we're racing to is chapter 5, verse So why don't we read that verse to start it out, and then we'll go back to chapter 4, verse 1. Go through the whole story, get it in its context, uh, because it's very important to see it in its context, and then we'll uh, look at this verse that I want to read to you. Chapter 5, verse 2. That the leaders took the lead in Israel, that the people offered themselves willingly, bless the Lord. So that's where we're going. That's what Deborah and Barak, that's what they sang to the Lord on this great day uh, of victory. But in Judges 4 verse 1, it tells us this. And of course, you might know that the book of Judges really is one of the most depressing books in God's word because it describes basically a 400 plus year season in Israel's history when they would walk with God for a season, then they would begin to intermarry with the nations around them. It's not that it was a racial thing that the Lord disapproved of. It was that they were marrying pagan women and pagan men who were worshiping other gods. And as is always the case, it's much easier to pull someone down than it is to pull someone up. And so they would be pulled down to that level and they'd begin to worship these false gods around them. And that would ultimately lead to their slave as a people once again, and then they would finally get to a point, whether it was two years or 20 years, they would cry out to God and say, God, would you deliver us from this slavery? And God would hear their cry, and he would give them a deliverer, a savior, or a judge. That's why we call it the book of Judges. And a judge would come onto the scene and perform some act of uh, heroism and free the people of Israel from their slavery. And then they would rejoice in God, walk with God, and then they would uh, fall back into that same uh, pattern of sin once again. And so in one sense, there's a lot of sadness in this book. But here in this story, we have the story, one story of great deliverance uh, in uh, God's people and amongst the nation. And so it says in verse 1, And the people of Israel again did, did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud had died. So that's the previous uh, previous judge. We're not going to look at his story. But once he died, the people of Israel again did this great evil. And the Lord sold them, verse 2, into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Herosheth Hagoyim. 
Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help, for he had 900 chariots of iron, and he oppressed the people of Israel cruelly for 20 years. Now Deborah, verse 4, the prophetess, the wife, the wife of Lipidoth, was judging Israel at that time. Now right away, the story gets really interesting here, because you have uh, this female figure who basically will serve as a judge, as a hero, and she's operating in the office of prophetess there uh, amongst the people of Israel. Now, this isn't the norm that you would see a woman in this position. It probably says a little something about the spiritual temperature in the nation, that this woman is basically functioning in an office that you usually would find a male figure in. But I think probably we can relate to that a little bit in our modern context. A lot of times it's easy to look around and find a godly woman, a woman that wants to serve the Lord and honor the Lord with her life. And then maybe at other times we might look around and say, Gosh, it'd be great to have a guy or two that wants to do this as well, that would like to serve the Lord and offer up his life and all of that. And so you see a little bit of that here demonstrated. And I think in another sense, it perhaps encourages us. This last week I was down at Calvary Chapel Bible College and I was sitting with all these uh, students and just uh, had an opportunity to teach a a class for them and all of that. And so after a, a week of spending time with them, they have way more female students at the school right now than they do male students, you know. So it's like this outnumbered kind of scenario and all of that. And I was sitting there talking with all of these female students we all went out for this like big class dinner and all of that and so we're all sitting there at this big table and I kind of got in like the girl section of the table you know so I'm talking to them and I just kind of asked the question I'm like hey you know is it ever difficult being in a setting like this do you sometimes imagine that the only things that you're allowed to do to do there's like either you get to be a pastor in the church or you get to play an instrument or sing or something like that they're like yeah what is it that we get to do in the church? and I, so we just started running down the list so many things that you get to do in the body of Christ. You're a great blessing to the body of Christ. Here are all the wonderful things that you can attain to and the leadership that you can accomplish. There are not as many limitations, I think, as we might sometimes culturally draw out. There are, of course, scriptural limitations that we adhere to. But here you see this woman, Deborah. There she is serving the Lord in the nation. And it says in verse 5 that the way she did is that she used to sit under the palm of Deborah, between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the people of Israel came up to her for judgment. And she sent, verse 6, and summoned Barak, the son of Abinoam, from Kedesh Naphtali, and said to him, Has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you, Go, gather your men at Mount Tabor, taking 10,000 from the people of Naphtali and the people of Zebulun, And I will draw out Sisera, the general of Jabin's army, to meet you by the river Kishon with his chariots and his troops, and I will give him into your hand. Isn't that a clear word from God to this man? I mean, there's Deborah. She's under her tree. I like the way the Bible says it. She was under the palm tree of Deborah. How convenient that she found a palm tree named after her, and she just went sat underneath it. No, I think it was probably the other way around. So there she is sitting under this tree, judging people, and she summons this guy, Barak. He comes up, and she gives him this very clear directive. She says, listen, you grab 10,000 of your troops, and you go out into battle, and God has promised that he will draw out Sisera, the general of Jabin's army, and God will give 
You, the victory. How wonderful to have a predetermined victory from the Lord. There's no question. There's no wondering. You know, maybe I'll go out and maybe it'll work. I mean, that's, what, that's our life in ministry so often, isn't it? You know, we're going to try this thing and we're going to find out, does it work or does it not work? You know, there's only one way we're going to discover it. But, but ba- uh, uh, Balak, he has this, or Barak, excuse me, he has this wonderful predetermined victory that is given to him from the Lord and declared to him by Deborah uh, the prophetess. But notice his response in verse 8. He said to her, if you will go with me, I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. And she said in verse 9, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the road on which you are going will not lead to your glory For the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. Then Deborah arose and went with Barak to Kedesh. And Barak called out Zebulun and Naphtali, the tribes, uh, to Kedesh. And 10,000 men went up at his heels. And Deborah went up with him. So she gives him this word of warning. She says, I will go with you. He's a little cautious for whatever reason. Says, I won't go up unless you go up with me. Uh, But then she says, okay, I'll go with you. But let it be known that... This isn't going to lead to your glory. It's going to be said that the Lord has given victory to uh, a woman. And that, you know, for Barak was supposed to be like this jostling, like, oh, I don't like that uh, kind of thing and reality. And then in verse 11, we see how this unfolded from the hand of God. Now Heber the Kenite had separated from the Kenites, the descendants of uh, Hobab, the father-in-law of Moses, and had pitched his tent as far away as the oak in Zaanite, Nanim, which is near Kedesh. And when Sisera was told that Barak, the son of Abinoam, had gone out up to Mount Tabor, Sisera called out all his chariots, 900 chariots of iron, so all of his weapons, and all the men who were with him from Herosheth Hagoyim to the river Kishon. And Deborah said to Barak, Up, for this is the day in which the Lord has given Sisera into your hand. Does not the Lord go out before you? So, you know, I prophesied this over you. It's time to go out into battle just as the Lord had said. So, Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. And the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and all his army before Barak on the edge of the sword. And Sisera got down from his chariot and fled away on foot. And Barak, verse 16, pursued the chariots and the army to, to Herosheth Hagoyim, and all the army of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword. Not a man was left, but Sisera, this general figure. Verse 17, he fled away on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite. Now, this is the part of the story I really like. And there was peace between Jabin, the king of Hazor, and the house of Heber, the Kenite. So that's why Sisera thought, okay, this is a good place to go run and hide. I've just been defeated in battle, but I can at least preserve my life. And Jael, this woman, she came out to meet Sisera, verse 16, and said to him, Turn aside, my lord, turn aside to me, and do not be afraid. So he turned aside to her into the tent, and she covered him with a rug. You know, so she's like, hey, you're running away from the battle. Why don't you just come into my tent, snuggle up. I'll put a rug on top of you. You know, just take a nap. It's been a tough day, a big battle. And he's like, oh, this is nice. And so he goes into the tent, and he begins uh, to, to rest. And he said to her, please give me a little water to drink, for I am thirsty. So she opened a skin of milk, 
and gave him a drink and covered him. So he's like, can I have some water? And she's like, oh, I'll give you something to drink. Well, what I've got is milk. You know, she's kind of like this sweet mother figure right now. Like, hey, drink some milk, fall asleep. It'll make you feel good. And so he drinks this milk and it says, uh, in verse 20, that he said to her, stand at the opening of the tent. If any man comes and asks you, is anyone here? Say no. But Jael, the wife, verse 21 of Heber, took a tent peg and took a hammer in her hand. Then she went softly to him and drove the peg into his temple until it went down into the ground while he was lying fast asleep from weariness. So he died. How do you like that? There it is. You know, she's like, come on in. Let me put a rug on you. Drink some milk. And he's like, hey, can you stand watch? If anyone asks if there's someone in here, say no. And she's like, sure, you know, whatever, sweetie. Get some sleep. And he falls asleep and she comes in with this tent peg, just puts it up, you know, on her, on his temple and just boom. And there he is. He's dead. He's out. And, uh, you know, obviously Barak doesn't kill him, but this woman, J.L., uh, does. And so it's just, I don't know why I like that, but I do. And in verse 22, it says, And behold, as Barak was pursuing Sisera, J.L. went out to meet him and said to him, Come, and I will show you the man whom you are seeking. So he went into her tent, and there lay Sisera dead, with the tent peg in his temple. So on that day, God subdued Jabin, the king of Canaan, before the people of Israel, And the hand of the people of Israel pressed harder and harder against Jabin, the king of Canaan, until they destroyed Jabin, king of Canaan. And after that, it says in verse 1 of chapter 5, Then sang Deborah and Barak, the son of Abinoam, on that day. And they sang a very lengthy song, but the introduction of their song went like this, that the leaders took the lead in Israel, that the people offered themselves willingly, bless the Lord. And that story and that phrase, especially the phrase that, that the leaders took the lead in Israel, has always greatly blessed my heart. Because what I see in Barak, I so often find within myself a reluctant leader, a leader with a clear call and a clear commission, but a leader who at the same time is at times hesitant to run into all that God has for my life. And maybe a little reserved, maybe a little, oh, I don't want to take that role for myself. I don't want to take that responsibility for myself. I don't want to make that decision myself. But there you see in verse 2, when he began to sing, what did he sing? Oh, when the leaders take the lead. And I think if I could say it like this, we might agree with this statement. Isn't it true that there are times that we have the position of a leader but we do not take up the activity of the leader? Aren't there times where we sort of want others to call the shots for us, others to take the lead for us? We want to just sort of get into the background, but the Lord has called each one of us to some kind of role of leadership here on earth. It might be as simple as a small little area that we might feel as a small little area within our local church But that is an area that God has entrusted into our care. And to not just sit there and say, look, this is my spot, and 
Maybe it'll develop and maybe it won't. But to say, this is the thing that God has given to me. It's not just the position, but I will take that position and I will run in it to the absolute fullest inside of my life. I've always loved watching that in the life of Stephen and in in the life of Philip there in the early church. There you have in Acts chapter 6 this moment where the apostles are watching the church explosively multiply and grow. It seems that it, that as if every moment that they just speak the gospel, preach the gospel, there are hundreds and thousands of people giving their lives to the Lord. This thing has multiplied to a number that they cannot manage in just a brief amount of time. And eventually these guys find themselves, they're serving and ministering, they're taking care of tables and dividing up money and all of that, and they finally get to this place where they say, listen, It is not good for us to leave the word of God and serve tables. You find for yourself seven men full of good reputation and full of wisdom and full of the Holy Spirit, and you appoint them to take care of the fiscal affairs of the early church. And so they choose these seven men, two of them, Stephen and Philip. These guys full of the Holy Spirit, full of wisdom. They go out and... I just imagine, especially Stephen, I mean, the longest message, the longest recorded message in the book of Acts is spoken by Stephen. Not Paul, not Peter, but but Stephen. There was a day that came in his life where he stood before the Sanhedrin. They saw his face like the angel of God. He preaches to them. He drives home his point. He gives an overview of the Old Testament. He says, listen, You guys have historically rejected every messenger that has come before, all the way back to Moses and uh, the prophets, and now you've rejected Jesus once again. And there was this stirring and rising up against him. He became the first martyr in the church. But what was the thing that led him to that moment where they looked at him and gave him that opportunity to speak? I imagine him receiving that opportunity of taking care of the daily distribution and just saying, this is something that I am going to do with the full force of who I am. I don't imagine him going to the individual households of these different women that he was taking care of that daily distribution, those Hellenist widows, and just kind of, you know, saying, oh, you know, here, here you go. It's Stephen once again. Here I am once again, you know, kind of just doing his job, running through the motions. I imagine him showing up and saying, here's the contribution that's been dedicated to you. Is there any way that I can pray for you? Is there any word of comfort or exhortation that I can give to you? I just imagine this man giving himself completely and fully to that ministry and that opportunity. And I think there's an indication of that when Paul spoke of what the deacons are all about in 2 Timothy chapter 3 because he said that those who do that role well, they attain for themselves boldness and good standing amongst God's people. And that's exactly what Stephen and then Philip after him obtained as they faithfully not just received the position of a leader, but faithfully led and did the thing that God had called them to do. And here's the thing here in the book of Judges. Would you not say that this was a moment and an era in the movement of God's people where leadership, spiritual leadership, was on an absolute premium? I mean, the theme verse 
of the book of Judges is the last verse of the book of Judges. It says that in those days in Israel, there was no king, for everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Talk about a depressing statement. Everybody just making it up for themselves. It was an era where leaders were required. People were falling into slavery because of their sin. And leaders needed to rise to the surface and do what God had called them to do. And I think for us in our era that we're living in, would we not say that we are living in an era that desperately needs spiritual leaders once again? Absolutely. We look out at the people in our churches, the people in our lives, the people in our communities, and there is a deep need for spiritual tone setters. People are go- who are going to say, listen, it's time for me to pour into you and to, and to take the lead that God has given to me. Listen, what does this look like in your area and your role to lead in that kind of way? Now listen, you might be the person that's in charge of the lyrics for your church on a Sunday morning. Maybe that's the role that God has put in your life at this moment. And we can all easily imagine that there's a way to go about that, a way to do that, in which it's just, you know, it's my duty, it's my task, and whatever. It's not that big of a deal. But then there's also a way to go about that where you are throwing yourself into it. Coming early, being available, praying for the team as they're preparing, praying over those lyrics, thinking about those lyrics. I mean, every time we sing a hymn here at Calvary, I'm always praying for the person who is working on the slides. You know, you're singing all these complex lyrics that people have forgotten over the years, very verbose, not just these simple repeated phrases over and over again, but these very complex lyrics, you know, and it's like, if you put that lyric up, once the line has already begun to be sung, then, you know, the congregation just dips out, you know, you know, like humming along a little bit. It's just like, you got to put everything you got into that to get that lyric up there before it's time and all that kind of stuff. And to, to, to lead, to lead well, when the leaders took the lead in Israel, when the leaders lead amongst God's people, we live in an era where leadership is greatly needed. And I want to say to you, don't hesitate to lead. You know, I'm a lead pastor of a church. I love this body. I love this church community that God has placed me in. And... I can only speak for myself. I can't speak for your senior pastor, your leadership team. But for me, I'm looking for leaders. I'm looking for people who show initiative and determination. I mean, my goodness, this last couple of weeks, I was teaching Ezra and Nehemiah to all these Bible college students, and I was just showing them the assertive nature of Ezra, the assertive nature of Nehemiah. And I was just throwing out little things because, you know, I was, these 15 students I had, I was expecting that maybe one or two of them might feel this call of God upon their lives to maybe when they graduate from school, maybe come to Monterey. I could just tell that there was this like little bond that was happening and all of that. But I was like, I'm not approaching any of them. I'm not going to ask any of them. I'm just going to keep working with them and all of that. And I waited. I waited that there was this finally at the end of this class, two weeks, this one student, Nate, is there any chance I can talk to you after morning devos tomorrow? I'm like, yeah, sure. You know, sit down. 
I was wondering if I could do an internship at your church. You know, I'm like, that's what I'm looking for. Somebody who's got that drive to step forward and try to go out, to risk and all of that. And so I wanted to encourage you, don't hesitate to lead. How many times have there been things that we look at and we say, man, I wish this was different. I wish I could change this. I wish I could change that. And there might be some things that are beyond our control. There are so many things that I think we can absolutely lead in that would influence the church, influence the congregation. I think sometimes we sit back and we just let that status quo happen. But the Lord wants us to set that tone and lead. I remember in the first couple of years that I was the pastor here in this church, I'm in my seventh year. In the first couple of years, you know, when we would have Easter Sunday, my first Sunday was March 16th, 2008, which was an Easter Sunday that year. And for Easter that year, we had our normally scheduled services, same service times and all of that. And I think on that Easter Sunday, the worship team did a couple of extra resurrection-ish kind of songs. And then somebody, I don't know who, they put some flowers in front of the pulpit at the time. And that was it. That was what we did for Easter that year. And, you know, for the first couple of years, I remember just thinking in my mind, like, you know, I really am connected to these ideas and churches that I know of who really go for it on Easter Sunday. You know, maybe something special that day. Maybe renting, you know, like a different place to meet so they can all meet as one group if they have multiple services or they make flyers or postcards or something like that. And I remember just thinking about it over and over again in my mind. I had conversations with myself about it over and over again. Wouldn't that be cool? Wouldn't that be neat? Never said anything to anybody else about it, but just in my own mind. And then as the years went by, maybe two years, three years, four years, I was just frustrated. I would get frustrated. Easter would come around. I'd just be so frustrated. Why aren't we doing anything cool? Why isn't anything cool? And like the Holy Spirit the whole time is probably like, you know, you are like the leader. You could, you know, do something here if you really felt like this was something that the Lord was putting on your heart kind of thing. And I remember we were getting ready for this. It was, I think, my third Easter Sunday. I was at home. And I just was having this thought that week. I was like, you know, I'm going to show up and it's going to be the same dreary background playlist that's playing that somebody found on like a CD, super old school, you know, 1992 worship music that's playing in the background and all that kind of stuff. And I was just kind of bummed. I'm like, you know, we need, wouldn't it be cool if people walked up and there was something that was like, you know, moving and it was like this different atmosphere. And, you know, I just right there, I was like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make a playlist. I'm the senior pastor of this church. I'm probably the last guy that should be making a background playlist, but that's what I'm going to do. And I made this playlist, you know, put all this like hip hoppy, you know, kind of music and stuff like that. And we had it playing in the background. And, you know, all these, Jaden was talking about the white guy, you know, move, you know, earlier. He had all these people coming up, you know, and they're like, whoa, what's going on? This is cool, you know, and they're like feeling and everything. And it was like this, it was like this little moment where what I realized was that this wasn't going to move until God allowed me to get the heart for it and then begin to actually move it. And so I began at that point, it was like I started talking to our leaders and saying, this is where we want to go. I started actually at that point, I began writing out what I was seeing in my own heart 
This is the day that I see as a church. This is what I see us doing as a fellowship. This is where I see us going as a body. And the clearer that I became, and the more that that was just laid out, and the more that that became like this is what we're expecting, this is what we're desiring, you know what? After a while, you begin seeing those things actually become a reality. And it's all about, first of you know, you've got the position but then to actually lead and to actually move in that direction. And eventually what ends up happening is God begins bringing people into your life who then respond to that call as well and want to see the same things occur. That's what these people saying. Notice it, verse 2, that the leaders took the lead in Israel, that the people offered themselves willingly, bless the Lord. I spent so much of my ministry life waiting for the people to offer themselves willingly, and then I would lead. But that's not the order that they sang about. They said when the people, when the, when the leaders led, then the people offered themselves willingly before the Lord. I mean, goodness, I do not envy anybody who does worship ministry in this modern age. You know, as a pastor, podcasts from other churches have been both a great blessing, but also a very intimidating kind of reality. Because the truth of the matter is that if I wanted to, I could stand at the back door of our church and as people are leaving, I could just say, I could just give people a list of 40, 50 podcasts. They're like, hey, if you didn't like what you just heard, well, I know 50 guys that are way better than I am at doing this. So here's their podcast, you know, go check it out, you know, kind of thing. And, you know, in this digital age that we're living in, it's so so easy to just hop online and look at different things and see different worship environments and churches and all of that. And perhaps even to become despairing within our own hearts and to say, man, I, I wish I could see this happen. I'd love to watch that happen. But, you know, God has put you where he's put you for a reason. And he is asking you to exert whatever leadership gifting he has given to you to drive that area of responsibility forward. Just this morning, I was sitting there reading in the book of Matthew. I read Jesus' parable about the ten virgins who some of them had oil for their lamps and some of them didn't. And the bridegroom came in the middle of the night and the five who had the oil, they went in with the bridegroom and they celebrated. And the five who had no oil, they were kept in that outer darkness. And Jesus said, be ready, be watchful, be ready. And I just found myself writing down and asking myself the question, if Christ were to return today, I'd be so joyful, I know. I'd be so blessed, I know. I have the oil of the Holy Spirit within me. The down payment has been placed inside of me. I've been born again. So I know where I'd be. I'd rejoice at that moment. However, would there be anything in my life that I would regret? What is it that I'm sitting on? What is it that I know that I want to do? The thing that I want to push forward? What are those decisions that need to be made that perhaps... For whatever reason, whether it's fear or lethargy, what is it that I haven't moved forward in? I just found myself writing out down these different things. Lord, I, I want to be able to do this. I want to be able to do this. I want to be able to do this. We've prayed about it for years. Lord, perhaps you're asking me to be the leader once again. And every time I feel as if I've led enough and feel like maybe it's time to kind of kick back and let other people lead and all of that, the Lord always speaks to my heart and says, You've just begun to lead. You need to continue moving forward.
And I believe the Lord would speak that uh, to us as well. And so Barak here, he did hesitate to lead, but eventually took the lead, and the Lord used it in wonderful ways uh, inside of his life. And I just wanted to say to you, when you really lead, it absolutely blesses the church. When you really take that responsibility and you go for it, you start paying attention to details, you start thinking things through, you start planning and preparing, it absolutely blesses your church. When you gather together with other people and begin to share your heart with them, you begin to move things forward, you begin to practice more with them or play more with them or dream more with them or speak directly more with them, as you exert that leadership, it absolutely blesses the church. And it is a little bit fearful, isn't it? You know, to speak into someone's life or direct someone's life, it can be a fearful thing. But ultimately, at the end of the day, it will absolutely bless the body of Christ. And I would encourage you to just move forward and lead in whatever capacity the Lord has given to you. Go for it. Don't hold back. We've got this one life to live. And so move forward in all of those things that God has set for you. And I know that sometimes one of the reasons why we don't lead is because of past hurt that we've experienced in serving the Lord. Hey, listen, we serve a Lord who hurt deeply in his service for the body of Christ. He was crucified. So let's understand that this is just the game that we're in. It's the role that we've got. Let's move forward and lead abundantly and wonderfully well, driving forward, uh, because God's going to use our lives in wonderful ways if and when we lead in that kind of way. So, you know, I think I could probably just keep going on and on, but at the end of the day, really what has to happen is you, alone with the Holy Spirit, have to say, Lord, where have been the areas in my life that perhaps you are putting your finger on and asking me to lead the charge more fully than perhaps I've ever led before. It might just be personally inside of your own life. Maybe there are music lessons that God has been speaking to you for years. Hey, it's time for you to really sharpen your craft. Lead, 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 lead. Perhaps for you, it's, you know, actually holding and leading the platform worship of the church. Listen, when you're up here and you're doing what God has called you to do, lead the body, lead the people. They're looking for that leadership and they will respond if you set that tone. Don't wait for them to become these passionate worshipers and then you follow their lead. No, you're the worship leader of that atmosphere, of that church, of that body. And they're looking for a person that they can follow and emulate and and imitate in that worship of the Lord. Whatever it might be, you're just going to have to ask the Lord, Lord, where would it be that you are asking me to leave this weekend and this little season of my life and to step forward in leadership, perhaps like I've never led before? And I just believe that if you're hearing from the Lord and moving forward in his will and leading in that direction, blessing, absolute blessing, is coming your direction. So that's my message. Go and lead. Amen. I want to pray for you and then have Jaden come back up and just share with us. Lord, thank you so much for your word. And I do pray, Lord, for this group of humble servants, Lord, that are 
out there, Lord, on the front lines just doing everything that you've called them to do. And Lord, I pray and ask that you would fill each one of us, Lord, with the strength and the power, the ability, Lord, to lead as you've called us to lead, Lord, whether it's actually leading other people or just our own lives, Lord, a private, quiet ministry that not many other people even see or appreciate. Lord, we ask that you'd help us to lead with diligence. Lord, to take that mantle of responsibility that you have put in our lives and to absolutely crush it. Lord, to just do so well in obedience, Lord, to you. And Lord, there are so many things even in my own life and heart that I can think of where I've just needed your grace, Lord, and your mercy and your forgiveness because uh, I just fell so short and wasn't leading, Lord, well. I pray, Lord, that you would pick us up in our shortcomings, just like you picked up this character, Barak, Lord, and gave him so much grace. You gave him victory even though he hesitated. Lord, we ask and pray that you would strengthen us, though, to take the lead that you have given, Lord, to us. Bless your servants, I pray. And Lord, if I may, for just a moment, I pray for the church that is represented by each one of these people, Lord God. And Father, I ask and pray that you would abundantly pour out your spirit upon each and every one of these churches. Lord, that there would be transformation and power and hope and just a, a, a fresh move, Lord, of your Holy Spirit in each, Lord, one of these environments, Lord God, and that you would give them great favor in the communities in which they serve and minister. So, Lord, we thank you today and ask, Lord, that you would strengthen us. And now, Lord, as we turn our hearts towards you in worship afresh, we ask, Lord, that you'd move now by your spirit. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.